best day to you all and a very warm welcome to the Greylet Cafe podcast brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, sustainability, and research. With you today is Inji Musa, political scientist and teaching associate at Cambridge University, and I'm very honored as always to be accompanied by Mr. Anthony Haynes, creative director of Frontinus. Greetings, Mr. Anthony. Greetings, Inji. So this episode is the second episode on writing book proposals, and here we continue our discussion on how not to write a book proposal by discussing five more pitfalls. And just a reminder, our coming episode will hopefully discuss positively how to write uh, a book (laughs) proposal. So Dr. Anthony, if you may kindly share with us the first pitfall you would like to draw our attention to today. Okay, well, thank you. Well, the first pitfall, like all of the others that we cover today, actually concerns the notion of the market. And I think the first pitfall is problems with defining the market for the proposed book. And it really breaks into two strands, really. The first strand is just lack of clarity about what is the market for this book. And people are often rather hazy about that. For instance, if they're writing a book about counselling, if they write something like, this book is for all those interested in counselling, that doesn't really get us anywhere. There's no point even writing that sentence. Who are these people? Let's be precise about the constituents, the groups that are genuinely going to want to buy this book. Interesting. And what about the second problem regarding the definition? Regarding the definition, it's to do with what I would call diffuseness, or another word for it might actually be credibility, to be honest, Mm. which is that once people start trying to define the groups of customers, they often fall into a mentality of feeling that adding groups somehow makes the proposal stronger. So they say the the book will appeal to these people and these people and these people Mm. and these people, as if there's a sort of additive logic to it. The more groups you add, the better. Now, if you think about that, let's take an example of someone who wants to write a book about how to teach mathematics. And they say the book will appeal to primary school teachers of mathematics. Okay, that's fine. And then they say, well, and and secondary as well, secondary teachers as well, because, you know, they, they both teach addition and subtraction and and geometry and stuff and then they say well and people teacher trainers people who train or teacher educators people who train teachers they'd be interested as well and policy makers because the governments have to make policies about teaching of mathematics and then parents because parents are interested in how their children are taught so they just keep adding all these groups and of course what happens is you end up with a book that's impossible to write i mean Try writing a single page that would genuinely appeal to all those groups. You can't do it. So I think there one needs to be really, really wary of using the word and. You know, this book will appeal to A and B and C. What do you think, like... Because to be honest, um, I think this is a bit of a tricky point because sometimes you feel that your book can appeal to a wider audience. Well... Yeah. If we can navigate that from what you like the excellent insight that you just shared, is it more about kind of building a hierarchy in that respect? So yeah. my prime uh, audience is this, but then it it could also benefit these groups. Uh, I think absolutely. So I think there are two solutions. One is don't add too many groups, Mm -hmm. you know, and the second is actually, yes, hierarchy, right? What's the prime market? Mm -hmm. And then you can use words like additional 
or supplementary or something like that to identify the other markets. Interesting. Okay. So, um, and what what other pitfalls would fall into that market category? The second pitfall, again, it breaks into two, really. It's thinking about the market over space and over time, which is a rather cryptic way of saying it. But um, let's take the market over space to begin with. Very often when writers write book proposals, they're a bit too parochial in their proposal and so let's take an example i mean i'm sitting here in the uk as i speak it's quite common for writers in the uk when they're trying to define the market for their book implicitly to be thinking only of readers in the uk and that's a real problem actually because the uk for most types of books the uk isn't really quite big enough as a market for the book to be publishable in a, in a profitable way. Publishers need to add to their revenue in two ways. One is selling export copies to other parts of the world, and the other is by selling translation rights. And both those things can be very helpful in terms of the, the profit margin that publishers need. So it's important to think from the start and to show that you're thinking from the start about the potential for selling books beyond your own territory. In some territories, authors are very aware of this. If they are themselves living and working in small countries, then they're probably very used to the idea of an open book market and and are less likely to think purely in, in terms of their own territory. It is, strangely enough, a bit of a problem in America because America is a big market and, and therefore you can publish books that are only really designed for an American audience. But I sometimes think American writers and publishers overlook the fact that with a bit of work, they could actually make their books uh, attractive to people um, in other territories as well. But I think the big message about space there is thinking thinking about how your book is going to appeal to customers who are not living in the home territory. Mm-hmm. If I may, on that point, do you think that could actually that point could play? Um, as kind of an advantage for the um, for whoever is writing the book proposal in the sense that even if you have a book a big local market like the American market like a big market means there is a big competition already so if you appeal beyond that market that actually could give you an advantage when there is so much contribution in your field or in the book uh, topic you want to cover yes absolutely and Uh, That's true. And I think, although I won't go into the economics, essentially selling books abroad might not add all that much to the revenue because very often for technical reasons, the publisher actually receives less money per copy in foreign territories. But although the additions to revenue might be modest, additions to profitability can be quite considerable. Interesting. Okay. And if I may, you mentioned that there are two, again, sub-pitfalls to this. So what is the second? Well, the second one is not thinking about time or or perhaps authors thinking about time, but not not in the right way. Um, Very often people will tell you that a book is topical and that could be a good thing, but actually the warning bells sound a bit. So let's supposing someone is writing a book about sport and the Olympic Games are coming up. And they say, well, of course, you know, this this will be very topical because of the Olympic Games coming up. And you think, yeah, probably will be. But what happens after that then? (laughs) Once the Olympic Games have come and gone, the people stop buying the book. And then if it's a print book, we've got all these printed copies sitting in the warehouse, unsold. That's a nightmare. So 
I'm not saying don't mention topical issues, although do bear in mind it takes a long time to write and produce a book. And therefore, you have to be sure the topical issue won't won't have passed. You know, uh, you don't want it coming out three weeks after the Olympic Games. But I think as important, in fact, more important for most types of publishing is to think about the non-topical things. So what I might call the evergreen or perennial or, or at least long term issues. So I gave an example earlier of a book about teaching mathematics. The topical bit might be maybe there's a change in the national curriculum or something. But long term, we've always been interested in teaching mathematics. And we always will be interested in teaching people how to multiply and divide and so on. So I'd always put stress on the fact that there's a long-term interest. You know, people have been publishing books on, on this subject for decades, and, and there's a reason to believe that they're going to carry on publishing and reading books on this topic for a long time. Because you really want, as a publisher, for books to sell year after year after year, uh, either in, a, in the current edition or possibly with the potential for doing new editions every few years. Interesting. Wow. So, so far we have like four sub-main uh, yeah. kind of pitfalls regarding the market. And yeah. I believe we have one more in uh, to share for today. So what would it be? This is information about what I will call channels to market. How do you inform the market about the book? Because mm-hmm. a publisher might think, well, yeah, okay, you've done a good job at showing me that there is a market for this book, but we've got to reach that market. So where is this market and how do we go about reaching them? And the kind of things you can think about there is, to some extent, there might be things you can do directly as an author, like it might be you often get asked to do keynote speeches, for example, that would be a good example. But you might also have some knowledge about how to reach the market. Like there might be certain websites and periodicals that all these people that you're aiming to reach read or uh, read and therefore actually getting content onto those websites or book reviews in those periodicals or whatever will help it may be there are certain events like um, conferences that a lot of people in your target audience go to so where are those events then what are they called and that information has two sorts of value on a practical level it may be the publisher actually takes up your information and uses it but even if they don't it has a symbolic value of helping publishers to convince that these markets that you're talking about do actually do actually exist now i want to just add a corollary here which is you sometimes get a zero-sum mentality i i gave a talk many years ago to the society of authors at a time when i was a member myself and i talked about this issue and a lot of authors got uh, kind of a bit touchy in fact i'd say a bit cross with me And their argument was, this was the publisher's job. Marketing the book was the publisher's job. It's not the author's job. And the author shouldn't be doing the publisher's work for them. And I'm very out of sympathy with that view. I, in the end, I kind of think, well, do you want do you want your book to succeed or don't you? And if you want it to succeed and you know information that would help the publisher, why on earth would you not want to tell them that? And what's more, they have a kind of mentality, which is if you do helpful things, they will just do less. So it's as if there's a sort of constant sum of what can be done to market a book. And if you take a bigger share of it, then their, their, their own share of that 
activity falls in that they just get away with the lazy option. Most of the time, it isn't like that. In fact, most of the time, it works the other way around. So publishers like working with authors who are keen for the book to succeed. Those are the people you want to work with. And if you do some things that help to prime the pump, like you write an article in a magazine, for instance, and that starts to create book sales, publishers will follow the money. So think of it this way. You're a market marketing manager and you've got a certain amount of money left in your marketing budget for the year. What are you going to spend it on? Are you going to spend it on a book that you've published, which isn't selling very well in the hope that it will create some sales? Or are you going to spend it on a book that's already selling well in the hope that you, you create more sales? Well, most people are clearly going to go back the winner, aren't they? They're clearly mm. going to back the, the book that's already shifting. So what you really want is a partnership between authors and publishers where you're saying, this is fun, this, isn't it? Actually, mm. finding readers and finding people to sell the book to. We like this. Let's 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 um, let's put our heads together and make this happen. So I'm very out of sympathy with that zero sum mentality of marketing. Interesting. Wow. So um, if I may then sum the five pitfalls we covered today concerning how the writer mm. of a book proposal approach the market for their to be published mm. book. So we talked about um, lack of clarity, diffuseness, uh, parochialism perishability and channels or that kind of providing the, um, the publisher for some information that could help marketing the book. Um, anything else you wish to add? Any pit, further pitfalls or further clarification you wish to, to provide for us today? I think I think those are the pitfalls. <laughs> I'm not saying there are no others, but what I think is if, if authors avoid those pitfalls, mm-hmm. their proposal is likely to be far more effective than most book proposals are. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much, Mr. Anthony, again, for another uh, interesting and insightful episode on how not to write a book proposal. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Inji. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This was Inji Musa with Anthony Haynes. Grey Lit Cafe is edited by Dr. Bart Hallmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specializes in grey literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers, and reports. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra. See you next time. Bye.